We're on a series called Christians with Addictions. It comes from Psalm 51, and every sermon in the series starts letter R. There they are right there. And I want to reiterate something that I've said before, and that is this. This series is not about you being completely healed and free from whatever addiction you're facing. That's not what it's about. This series, like every single sermon that's ever preached from this pulpit, is all about you relying on Jesus daily and spending time in the Word. Regardless of the topic we talk about, it's always about you relying on Jesus daily and getting in the Word. So don't be so focused your whole life on, i got to be free from this, i got to fix this, i got to change this. No, 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 let Jesus heal you and change you. Your job is to rely on Him daily and get in the Word on a regular basis. You may end up like Jacob who had a limp. Maybe you'll have a limp the rest of your life, but that doesn't stop you from being blessed. You can live a blessed life with a limp. You just got to rely on Jesus every single day, okay? Okay, today in part nine, I want to talk to you about this. Remove. Remove. There are things that happen to us in life, and we end up struggling on the outside because there's something on the inside that needs to be removed. We carry around hurt and pain and condemnation and fear and all these things because of some situation we've been through, and we just bury it thinking that it's no big deal, but if it's not removed by the Holy Spirit properly, it's going to infect our future. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of your heart flows the issues of your life. When we go through hurts, when we go through disappointments, when we go through negative situations, if we don't remove that pain properly, if we don't remove the unforgiveness, if we carry around the bitterness, the resentment, the anger, it's going to screw up what God wants to do in our future. And he's got big plans for us, but understand everything in life flows out of your heart. So if your heart's not healthy, nothing's going to be healthy. Um, I read about this uh, this this company here in America back in the early 80s, around 1981 or so, and this big plant, for the course of the year, every year, it would produce this type of toxic waste that they had to pay a lot of money for this other company to come through and remove it properly and, and dispose of it properly. Well, one year, they wanted to save some money, so they decided they were going to buy some land nearby, and they took that toxic waste, and they filled it in these big containers, and they sealed it real tight, and when no one was looking, they got these big trucks around, and they dug holes, and they buried the containers in the ground and put the dirt over it. They thought, that's no big deal. We saved a bunch of money, and we're done. Ten years later, those containers started to seep. The toxic waste was coming out of it. They were opening up. The way they found out was is because it affected the water supply of the nearby town, and all these people were getting sick and dying. It was killing the vegetation. Little did they know that that stuff they had buried was going to resurface. They never imagined they'd have to deal with it again, but because it wasn't removed properly, it came out little by little and poisoned the entire place. In the same way, you and I have to ask God to remove certain things that we were never meant to carry in our hearts. There are burdens and situations and things that we were never meant to take into our future. Now, everything in the Old Testament I can show you in the New. Everything in the New I can show you in the Old. There's two scriptures I want to show you. Isaiah 43, 18 says this, Forget what happened yesterday. Stop going over old history. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? New Testament, Philippians 3.13, I focus all my energy on one thing, to forget. Everybody say forget. forget. 
to forget what lies in the past and press forward to what lies ahead. Now, I know you're thinking, I can't forget what happened to me. I cannot forget how they did me. I cannot forget this thing that I've been through. Okay, the Old Testament's in Hebrew, New Testament's in Greek, yet both of these words forget mean the same thing. It means this, to stop remembering, to stop bringing it up, to stop talking about it, to stop letting it control your life. If it comes into your mind, you can actually choose what to think of. You can switch your thoughts and think about some way that God's blessed you or put a scripture in your mind or watch something funny on YouTube or do something to stop remembering the negative things from the past. And it also implies in both scriptures that if you don't forget, it will affect your future and what God wants to do in your future. So I have three points for you today. They all start with letter H. Point number one for your notes is hatred. Hatred. 1 John 3.15, whoever hates another in his heart is a murderer by God's standards. Remember, God is a God of hearts. Uh, Jesus just told us right here that murdering on the outside is the exact same sin in God's eyes as hatred on the inside. Now, I know we, we get so caught up on American law and, you know, all that, but you do realize that whenever you see Jesus face-to-face, -face, he's not going to ask you how well you obeyed the American government. He's not really going to talk to you about your taxes, you know, if you cheated or not. He's not really going to talk to you much about speeding tickets. He's going to talk to you about what the Bible says. And we put such a big value sometimes on the laws of the land, but God's Word should hold more value to our hearts, right? So we're scared of murdering somebody and going to prison, but Jesus says it's the same thing when there's hatred on the inside of your heart. Because God's a God of hearts. I have a, a friend, actually an acquaintance. Um, he thinks he's my friend. We're more of an acquaintance. But uh, uh, several years ago, he murdered his wife. And I've known him for maybe 25, 27 years. He owns a little restaurant that I go to every week, once a week. And I talk to him and say, hey. And I've known him for years. I was in high school. And a few years ago, his wife, who was a lovely woman, uh, she was a doctor. They had two kids. They got into an argument there at the restaurant, actually. And um, long story short, he, he murdered her. He killed his wife. And I tried to spend years trying to witness to him about Jesus, and he went to jail. And while he was in jail, he kept calling me from prison. And I was too embarrassed to answer the phone. I didn't even know what to say, didn't know what to do. And at one point, after maybe a dozen messages, he left a voicemail saying, I want to know what it means to be saved. I still didn't answer the phone. I was too nervous. I didn't know what to do. After six years, he gets out of jail. And it took me maybe a year to finally go back and see him face-to-face -face and apologize for not answering the phone, you know, so sorry. And we're friends again. You know, I see him every week. And you may be thinking, um, I can't believe my pastor is friends with the man who murdered his wife. But here's my question. How many of you, by God's standard, are murderers? How many of you have, I'm your friend, right? How many of you have hatred in your heart towards your ex-spouse or your ex-boss or somebody that did you wrong? Biblically, it's the same thing. Genesis 4, verse 5, it says, The Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering, but he rejected. Remember the word rejected. He rejected Cain and his offering. Cain became angry and lost his temper. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Sin is crouching at your door, eager, eager to control you, but you must rule over it. Remember last week we talked about the difference between children and adults in the Bible is not age. It is by children just do whatever feels good and adults try to be led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you know. And, of course, we all struggle because we're adults. But if you feel homosexual, you know, don't let your feelings control your life. If you feel like cutting yourself, don't let your feelings. If you feel like lusting after somebody, you don't let your feelings control your life. We, as adults, we try to not 
we try to rule over our emotions. And God's saying here, if you feel the hatred, it's going to end up causing you to do something you're really going to regret. Genesis 4.8 says, while they were in the field, Cain killed his brother. It started with an emotion that he just wouldn't rule over. Most likely he had parents that said, just do whatever feels good. If it makes you happy, I want you to be happy. Just do whatever you feel. And he ended up doing that. Now, the New Testament refers to this in 1 John 3.12. Don't be like Cain who murdered his brother all because he hated him. The reason I find this interesting is because 85% of all school shootings in the history of the world, you know, when they capture the killer, uh, most sometimes that person ends up dying, but when they actually capture the shooter, the psychiatrist comes in and evaluates them, and studies show that 85% of every school shooting was by a person who felt, listen, rejected by their peers and was angry at the rejection. I actually read psychiatrists actually say that the worst pain we could ever feel is rejection. It was actually what Jesus felt on the cross because of all of our, because of all of our sin. But started with a feeling, controlled his life. You know, God's a God of hearts. Just so you know, the Bible says if you look at someone in lust, it's the same as adultery. You know, when you have hatred in your heart, it's the same as murder. And um, I was reading about this welterweight champion named uh, James Tony, And the report said that he fought like a man who was possessed by the devil. And one day a reporter asked him, they said, James, why do you fight with such hatred and aggression in the ring? And the reporter thought he was going to say, I just love boxing. It's my life. It's my passion. But he got very solemn and very serious, and he looked at the reporter, and he said this, I fight the way I do because my father abandoned me and my mom and my siblings when I was young. Now when I step into the ring, I picture my dad's face on every opponent, and I just explode. You know what he's doing? He's making every new opponent pay for what the previous what his father did to him years ago. You know, a lot of people like that in relationships, they'll get out of one relationship and they won't heal properly. They'll go right into the next one and they're going to make that new relationship pay for what the old relationship did to them. Then they get, they, that doesn't work out. So then you get to the next relationship. They don't heal properly from that hurt and pain. Then they get the next one. And then that person pays for what happened before. And it's just a vicious cycle. Then you become addicted to people or addicted to dating and you got to have somebody you think you're going to heal. But then you have all the problems bottled up on the inside that's not removed properly. You get to the next one and then they get affected by what happened. You need to heal before you start jumping from one thing to the next or you're going to make the new people in your life. You'll make your children pay for what your parents did to you if you don't heal properly. We talked a few weeks ago about the, the Jezebel spirit. Remember uh, in the Bible, the woman who was very manipulative and controlling. Remember that? And it's so funny, you always hear men calling women, I dated her, she was such a Jezebel, or she's got a Jezebel spirit. I want you to know that demons are not sexist. A man can have a Jezebel spirit as well. It's kind of like, um, you always hear women call men narcissist. I dated, he was so, so narcissistic. You never hear a man calling a woman a narcissist, but let me just teach you something. Women can be narcissist, and men can be Jezebels. And if you've been in a relationship with one, you need to heal before you go to the next one or you'll be bringing that spirit into the new relationship that God has in store for your life. How sad would it be for God to bring someone into your life, for God to do it, for God to bring someone into your life, but because you didn't let him remove the hatred and anger from the previous relationship, your heart is going to ruin it. That'd be so sad, wouldn't it? The Pharisees, they had this ideology. They were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Their ideology was as long as you don't transgress, as long as you don't do it, so to speak, then you're okay. Jesus came along and said, no, 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 my God looks at your heart. 
Whether you commit adultery or you look at someone in lust in your heart, it's the same sin. Whether you have hatred in your heart or you murder anything else, it's the same thing. They got really upset. In Matthew 23, 27, Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees, snakes, hypocrites. You're like white graves on the outside. You actually appear beautiful. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And then he said, you're not going to escape hell. I love studying Bible colleges all across the nation and Christian schools, and I'm doing all this research for our school. And so many of them are always focused on the outside. In fact, there's a lot of churches, if you go to them, everybody looks the exact same in the church. They act the exact same. They walk the exact same. And you're thinking, it's like they're training robots rather than disciples of Christ. And they think, they raise them up thinking, well, if I act like this and do this, and if my Facebook page has scripture on it, and if I don't go to these places and I don't cuss, then I'm a good Christian. And when you get to heaven, you know, salvation's a heart issue. It's not an outside issue. It's a heart issue. How sad would it be to spend your whole life thinking you're a Christian because you're doing good things on the outside, but your heart is full of death, full of dead men's bones. Uh, In... 1982, the first Friday of 1982, it was New Year's Eve the night before, Kevin Tunnell, he was 17 years old, true story, he was drunk driving, and he killed an 18-year-old girl. He was convicted of manslaughter, and after receiving his court sentence, he began organizing these campaigns against drunk driving, because he felt very bad for what he did, and people were giving money, and he was making all this awareness take place all over the nation. But the parents of the girl who he killed while drunk driving sued him for $1.5 million. Just as the court was about to rule in their favor and make Kevin pay the $1.5 million, they got together with the lawyers and they decided to just let the settlement be $936. Only catch was the $936 had to be paid by check, $1 check, every Friday, put in the mail with the girl's name who he killed on the envelope, sent to the family for 18 years, 936 Fridays. At first, Kevin was really grateful for the $936 settlement, but after weeks and weeks and months and months of writing the checks and putting the girl's name on the envelope, he became so stricken with guilt that he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't function. They actually made a movie about this about 10 years ago. He offered the family two boxes of full signed checks already written out a dollar each in hopes that they would take it and he could forget about it but they wanted penance they wanted him to go to the mailbox every friday with the daughter's name on the mail on the envelope they wanted they wanted him to never forget so kevin decided he was going to stop making payments in hopes that the courts Uh, would punish him more severely and he could finally get over it. They put him in jail for 30 days. When he got out, they made him continue the payments. $1 a week, 936 weeks for 18 years. Nobody argued the family's anger or rage or hatred against this young man. Nobody argued their need for penance. But my question is, how many checks are enough? Like, is 936 checks enough? When they got the final check, the 936th check, that day were they at peace and everything was healed? My question is, if you were the family of the girl who was killed, how many payments would you require? How many payments do you require when somebody hurts you? Do you 
gossip about them to three different people and then you have peace? Do you go on Facebook and blast them and let everybody know what they did and then you feel better? Do you give a one-star Google review so the whole world can see your experience and then finally now you're okay after you sought your little bit of revenge? How many payments are adequate when somebody hurts you? And what if God required the same thing from you every time you hurt him? Point number two for your notes is this, hurt. Hurt. Ephesians 4.26, when you're angry and that emotion rises up, don't sin. In fact, don't even let the sun go down while you're still angry. Leave no foothold for the devil. You know a foothold is when someone's going to slam a door and you, somebody puts their foot there real quick, right? I got enough problems with the devil while I'm awake. I don't need him creeping in my bedroom at night while I'm asleep, right? The reason it says don't go to bed angry is because God knows if it's in your heart, it's going to get buried, suppressed. It'll seep out to the next relationship, to the next thing. And you know, um, God doesn't speak to us audibly. Maybe once, twice in a lifetime, if so, whatever. He speaks spirit to spirit. He speaks to our heart, right? So if your heart is filled with toxic waste, how can you hear God clearly? I think the most beautiful, magnificent, and supernatural thing this universe has ever, ever, ever done is that we can hear the voice of God in our hearts. For that to be tainted... You do know you need that to raise your kids. You do know you need that to get through a Monday morning at your workplace. You do know you need that to hang out with your in-laws, right? You, you need that voice of God to get you through the day. So if it's filled with toxic, how are you going to hear God properly? There's a man in the Bible, and I've read the whole Bible beginning then. I'm sure most of you have as well. Um, but I've never in my life, in the whole I've never read a compliment given to someone in the Bible as given to a man named Ahithophel. I mean, we know David was a righteous, great warrior. Solomon was the wisest king ever. But the Bible says about Ahithophel in 2 Samuel 16, 23, the advice of Ahithophel was as if it came from the voice box or the oracle of God. Imagine having that anointing. That anytime somebody says, hey, what would you do in this situation? It was as if they heard God's voice coming out of your, the purest wisdom ever from a man and it came out of Ahithophel's voice um, do you know that somebody hurt Ahithophel's granddaughter hurt her really really bad and he refused to forgive and he actually got vengeful and he wanted that person to get paid back for what they did the very next chapter says in 2 Samuel 17 7 the advice of Ahithophel is no longer good why because the anointing of God is affected by our hearts the anointing is the empowerment to prosper through Jesus Christ. And we all have different anointings, different levels. And you need to prosper through Jesus Christ. And that is affected by your heart. Do you see how important it is to have a pure heart? Do you see how important it is to ask God to remove the wrong things out of your heart? You know, it cost him his life. 2 Samuel 17, 23. When Ahithophel saw his advice was no longer good, he hanged himself. Let me say this. He got angry and upset and he committed murder. He killed himself. It cost him his life. Every one of us in this room, we've all been hurt, betrayed, lied about, talked about, whatever it is. When that happens, we only have one of two choices. We only can either let it stay buried on the inside, carry it around with us everywhere we go, or forgive and move forward. Those are the only options. The only options. 
So years ago, I, I've been hurt by, you know, a lot of people and childhood and all that great stuff. Um, this guy hurt me about six, seven years ago, more than anyone has ever. I've never, and I've heard so many stories as a pastor. I've never heard a story so bad as what this guy did to me. I wanted him dead. I mean, I wanted him, I wanted him to burn in hell for life. And I was a pastor at the time. I still am. Um, Anyway, um, I actually created, believe it or not, I actually created a, a, a torture chamber in my mind for this guy. And maybe three or four times a week, I would kind of just kind of go in a daze, and I would enjoy imagining uh, him losing his family and something happening to one of his kids and him getting in a car accident and, and you know, breaking bones and him losing his job. And I really enjoyed I really enjoyed that torture chamber. I, I really did. Um, I can't even, I, words, I, I, could, I could tell you the story. It wouldn't even be worth it. Words couldn't even express the, the, the hatred that I had from the anger. And it started, believe it or not, it affected my preaching. <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, it's very hard to preach when you want somebody dead. It really is. Try it sometime. It's very difficult. It's hard raising your kids when you want somebody dead. It is. It's hard to, to hear from Jesus when there's somebody you want dead. So I went to about six different counselors for help. I went to about five different pastors in the area, and every one of them said the stupidest same phrase over and over again. You should just forgive. Oh, is that what I should do? Thank you for that. I'm a pastor. I didn't know that's what I should do. I'm so glad you helped me. Here's $100. Thanks. I should forgive. Oh, that sounds so spiritual. What does it mean? What's the application? How do you forget? What do you, does that mean? I just, oh, I forgive you. Is that what it means? Lord, help me forgive them. I'm done. Is that, how, is that how you deal with someone that you hate? That you hate? That you despise? So I was in the shower. You know, God always talks to me the most when I'm in the shower because I don't have my cell phone. There's no computer. There's no kids bothering me. There's no dogs barking, nothing. So I'm in the shower and I'm just, you know, I'll come up with good sermon ideas in the shower and all of a sudden I heard from God and God said, why don't you ask me how to forgive? I said, because I want to hear an audible voice, and that's much easier for me, you know? He said, you know I'm good at forgiving. I've forgiven you for everything you've done to me. Okay, God, how do I forgive? <laughs> I got out the shower, and he brought to mind what I think is the worst verse in the entire Bible. If I had enough white out, I would white this verse out of every single Bible in the whole world. <laughs> it is my least favorite verse ever written. I can't believe God did it. What were you thinking? Matthew 5 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. Oh. Doesn't that just bring tears to your eyes, you know? If you don't know what love is, 1 Corinthians 13 5 says love forgives everything. Amen. So I said, God, what am I? He said, you pray. So the application is pray? Pray for them? Yes. Okay, Lord, in Jesus' name. I ask that you strike him down with lightning sometime this week. I don't want him to die, God. I'm very merciful. I want him to have third-degree burns all over his body. I'll be happy with second-degree, but third-degree if you really want to bless me. I said, what am I supposed to pray? He said this, you pray for him for the same thing you pray for yourself. So I said, Lord, I pray that he has a successful marriage. I pray that you protect his children everywhere they go. I pray that you make him successful at the workplace. 
I pray that you speak to him every single day and remind him how much you love him. Man, I wanted to throw up all over the place. I was so mad. You know, as I did it, it started getting easier and easier. By the eighth week, I was feeling healed. I was refreshed. Things were changing. Now I can see the guy in public and say, hey, like it's no big deal. Maybe once or twice a year, I'll go back to that, you know, torture chamber thing. And I think, no, no, no. Lord, I pray that he's doing, I pray his body's healthy. I pray his mind is at peace. I pray his relationships are great. And then God began to, it's amazing how true the word of God is. You'd think that I would know that as a pastor, but it actually works. It actually, it actually works. In the Old Testament, there was a, a lady named Rachel. She was Jacob's wife. And um, Rachel, the name Rachel means in the scripture, shapely, beautiful, and voluptuous. I'm excited to see what she looks like when I get to heaven. But um, she was in labor with their second son, and there was complications in the delivery room. And in verse 16 it says, Rachel suffered hard, hard labor. Now, the Bible doesn't exaggerate, and there were no epidurals back then, okay? Hard, hard labor. She ended up dying while giving birth to their second child. And in verse 18, it says, Rachel was at the point of death, but with her last breath, she named her son Benoni, meaning son of my pain and my sorrow. Can you believe she treated her child negatively because of the pain that she was going through? And now this little innocent baby boy who's done nothing wrong, he's going to spend the rest of his life having to deal with this negative connotation. He's done nothing wrong, but all because his mom was hurt and in pain, and now she named him Benoni. There's a phrase you'll learn in counseling. It goes like this, hurt people hurt people. In other words, the people that have done you wrong, a lot of times it's not really anything you did. It's the fact that somebody hurt them, and they never healed from it, and now they're taking it out on you. And the enemy just wants that cycle to continue. Now, you're hurt, and you take it out on somebody else. And then they're hurt, and they keep going on. That's just what the enemy wants. So Jacob comes in the, the, the room, and the midwife says, here's your baby boy, Benoni, son of sorrow. Something rose up in him. He said, that is not going to be my son's name. In the rest of verse 18, it says, but his father, Jacob, named him Benjamin, son of good fortune. And he went on to be a great leader. God knew that one negative word spoken over him by his parent could affect his whole life. Now, back to my phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Do you believe this, yes or no? Do you believe that the people that have hurt you didn't even really know what they were doing? They were just hurt, and it was never removed, and now they're unhealthy, and they're taking it out on you. Do you believe that, yes or no? Yes. Then why would you want to be one of those people? Because you might not even know you're hurting your children. You might not even know you're hurting this next relationship. You might not even know that your relationship with God is tainted, all because you won't deal with the thing in your heart. Just like the person's done to you, you're doing it to somebody and you don't even know. And now they're suffering because you won't let God remove what needs to be removed. I read the most interesting st statistic. It blew my mind. 94% of Americans, this was, I think, 2011, they polled, 94% of Americans believe incredibly strongly in forgiveness and that it must be done. Through that poll, there were other questions. They also discovered that 50% of that 94% had somebody in their life who they hated and wanted to die. <laughs> but yet they all agreed that forgiveness is so important. So the application is to pray for your enemies. Number, number three is this. We all need healing. 
We need healing. Psalms 147.3 says, The Lord heals. The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, curing their pains and sorrows. I'm not on social media anymore, but when I was, one thing that made me so upset, one reason I got off, is because Christians post things on social media that are unbiblical. One is people say, time heals all wounds. That's a lie from Satan. Time doesn't heal nothing. Time makes it worse. Yeah, you might have it buried and you don't really think about it as much, but because it wasn't, it's going to seep out and it's going to be a bigger problem than it was in the beginning. Time doesn't heal nothing. Time with Jesus heals all wounds. Amen. Make sure it's time with Jesus. My friend John Ross is uh, Trisha's husband. Um, she, he had cancer for six, seven, eight years. Trisha took amazing care of him every single day of his life. And John was in and out of hospitals, sick one day, healed one day, sick, healed, sick, healed. There were times we thought he was going to die. They said, make arrangements, and he'd be in church next Sunday. One time, he was in a coma a few times. One time I saw him in a coma, and they were like, this is it. He's done, and his body was filled with air, and you could press down on his skin, and air you'd see his whole body just flap, you know. It's over and done. Next Sunday, he's in church. He'd be in church with, um, he had, one time he had an IV with morphine, and he's singing in the choir. He wasn't getting none of the words right, but he was singing in the choir, you know. <laughs> when God sees you singing in pain, when he sees you giving when you're hurt, when he sees you forgiving when you've been done wrong, that's when healing actually occurs in our life. Time with Jesus heals everything. Amen. It does. Um, we need to learn how to sing even if we're in pain. We need to learn how to worship as if everything's, as, as everything's going to be okay. Because it is going to be okay. I would rather die in my 40s with a healthy heart than live to be 90 and spend my whole life with hatred and anger and resentment on the inside. That's not a good quality of living. Just go ahead and take me to heaven. That's not fun. In Matthew 18, 22, it says, Peter asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone? Y'all watch The Chosen, right? Y'all know Peter. Y'all know Peter. Of all people to ask, Lord, how many times? There's got to be a set number. Tell me when I can punch him in the face, right? How many times... Should I forgive somebody who sins against me? And here's this, he go to, Peter always answers, he answers before Jesus even said anything. Seven? I like that number, Jesus, that's the number of completion. So on the eighth time, I'm going to spit in their face. <laughs> Jesus said, Peter. <laughs> I love Peter so much. I am such Peter. I love Peter. Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I'm going to ask you a mathematical question. I need you to answer correctly even though we're really close to Socasty, okay? What is 7 times 70? 490. Please tell me everybody got it right. If not, you're probably homeschooled. And so 490, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Tom and Lori homeschooled their son, and he's a doctor now. So it's okay, okay. So 490 would be great. Because then Peter could take a tally and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. But on 491, you know, there's no more forgiven. We're done. Jesus didn't actually say 70 times 7. Um, Jesus was speaking Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew. And this passage was written in Greek and then to Latin and then to English. So it comes out 70 times 7. But the actual phrase was 77-fold. Now, numerically, it's still 490. 
but Jesus wasn't given a numeric number. 77-fold was a phrase that every Israeli knew. And they stopped in their tracks when he said it. They knew it because it refers to a story about a man named Lamech from the Old Testament. It's about when someone goes way over the top. I mean, they just go way over. Do you think, man, they just explode and it's just so far and they're so exaggerated. And that's what the phrase meant. The story is in Genesis 4.23. It says that Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah. Let's just take a minute and imagine how beautiful those ladies were. Yo, Ada, bring me some milk. Oh, you ought to get up yourself is what you ought to do. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. I have, here's what Lamech said. I killed a man. Here's why. He wounded me. Not only that, I killed a boy. You know why? Because he hurt my feelings. If Cain's going to be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech, 77-fold. You're a strong guy, aren't you? Someone hurts your feelings, you're going to kill them. Even a boy, you'll kill them. And so when Jesus said 77-fold, they thought, wait a minute, hold on. Lamech was so over the top with his revenge. You're wanting us to be that over the top with our forgiveness? You did me wrong, you stole from me, you talked about me. Man, you better get ready because I am going to pray for you every single day. And I'm going to show you so much mercy, it's going to make you sick. And I'm going to hope that God blesses you and I'm going to be so kind to you and respectful to me. So you just talk bad about me because, man, I am ready to get on my knees and pray that God does good things in your life. And I bet the disciples thought, I think 490 would be better. I would rather it be 490. You might want to take a picture of this real quick and we'll close. Forgiveness is forfeiting all expressions of private and public judgment. Forgiveness is releasing them and all their debt to the judgment of God. And forgiveness is not always reconciliation and trust. Listen, trust is earned. Forgiveness is immediate. You have to forgive. You don't have to trust. If someone's stealing from your workplace, you're allowed to fire them, but you can still forgive them and be kind and loving and respectful. Do you understand what I'm saying? Trust is earned. You hear me? Okay. I want to close this. It's a true story. During the Korean War, this father was arrested by communists. Whenever they found out that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, he was ordered to be shot on sight. There was a young communist leader that was there, and he was a young guy, and everyone was kind of really giving him orders. He was just doing what he was told. He was about to carry out the execution of this guy, but he learned that this, this man was actually in charge of an orphanage, took care of a bunch of kids. So the young communist leader decided to spare his life, but for his punishment, he was going to take his only son and kill his son. So he grabbed his little boy from his arms right there on the spot, threw him up against the wall, and executed him right in front of his father. Years later, when the war was over and peace was restored, the communist leader, that young guy, he was put on trial by the United Nations. True story. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. Before the sentence could be carried out, the father, whose son was murdered, pleaded with the court to spare the young man's life. He argued that the guy was too young, didn't know what he was doing, just following orders. He told the United Nations, if you will release him, I'll take care of him in my home. I'll be responsible for him, and I'll make sure he lives a productive life. 
against all odds, the United Nations granted this unbelievable request. And this father took the murderer of his son into his home. He loved him. He cared for him. The young man ended up surrendering his life to Jesus Christ. And he became the pastor of a very large and successful church, winning thousands of people to Jesus. Most of us in this room will never, ever have to face anything that traumatic. But I just wanted you to know, forgiveness at that level can be done with the help of Jesus Christ. Uh, last scripture, Titus 1.15, everything is pure for someone whose heart is pure. In other words, we don't see the world for what it is. We see the world for who we are. It's very important when you leave this place, everything you see, your thoughts, your feelings, your, your opinions, your advice, it's not based on the truth of what's really It's actually based on what's inside of your heart. So when you see racism and hatred and you know, poverty and all this stuff, don't let it get on the inside and contaminate what needs to be pure. If, if you'll let God remove the hatred, the hurt, and the anger, and if you'll pray for your enemies and stop bringing up the past, then God will heal you, and to the pure in heart, all things will be seen as pure. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord.